All right, good morning. All right, we are going to take a look at 1 Samuel 17 today. David and Goliath, very well-known story. Um, but hopefully we'll, today we'll, I don't know, you know, like a lot of the Old Testament stories, you know, what we learned in Sunday school isn't like the whole story, right? I mean, it's, yeah. So, um, so yeah, revisiting it, I'm hoping that we can have open, you know, open hearts and minds. So, um, I, I think what we're... Just in case, you know, you trust yourself too much. Not that you would. But, um, oh, I, I'm sorry. Here, I handed out this little, with a bunch of pictures in there today. First of all, I included the uh, map this time. So when they make reference to Azaga and Sukkoth and the Valley of Elah, that's where, that's where it's at. Um, you know, in reference to Jerusalem and Bethlehem. and Okay, good. Well, because yeah, I always, you know, that's good. Um, then on the back side, it has nothing to do with the Bible necessarily as much as that is an account or an apology of, um, well, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but Hattushili? Hattush- yeah. Depends on how you put the emphasis. <laughs> uh, anyways, the... Um, that is the account of where two armies choose one person to battle between the two, similar to David and Goliath. It's a, um, it's just, you know, that's the artifact. Because, you know, when archaeologists read the Bible, they wonder, you know, is this just an exclusive thing of the Bible where um, armies will just choose one person? But uh, that's not. It's um, single-man combat. Then, uh, it's, uh, I think we had the mealtime picture next, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, so the whole, the whole notion that David has to go out to the battlefield to feed the soldiers it was a very common thing. And it really was really common up until basically like World War kind of one-ish, two-ish, where they had enough, they were able to always have these supply um, because it was very common, even in the Revolutionary War, for you know um, armies to come into a town and basically get yeah get fed from the town. So um, now imagine they're out in the middle of nowhere, right? They're on this, these two valleys, right? On these two kind of hillsides, and there's a valley in between them. It's not a lot of people to feed them, so you know people would have to come out and usually family, and bring them rations. In fact, um, we'll see in the text that David is most likely performing a, like an obligatory duty, like every, every family had to do this. So it wasn't really the king's job to feed the soldiers as much as the families, but the king would take some of the family's food too. Tough break for the family, right? Okay. Then uh, the bottom picture there is to show... Now, we might have talked about this earlier, and I can't remember, but the idea of a sling. The sling is a, uh, was actually a weapon of war. It was part of the um, 
forgot what that thing is called, where they, the arrows were part of it too. So, uh, I mean, Bozeman. So anyways, so this idea that David was a good slingshot wasn't because, you know, he was out back at the garage and he took his slingshot and shot tin cans, right? This was uh, something that was actually part of, probably most likely part of his tribe, because in Judges, we know the, the Bethlehemites were good slingers. It was, so, um, anyways, that was well, com- I mean, that was common in the ancient world. Uh, then the other one, oh, yeah, you know, I don't think I showed this earlier, so the, it, this picture came up again, but that is a common headdress of a uh, Philistine soldier. And the reason why, well, keep that in mind when, you read, when we read the text. And last but not least, great picture of a warrior holding a head of an enemy. The idea of cutting someone's head off was, that's what they did. So, yeah. You know, I, I forgot to, uh, oh no, I think that's coming up in next chapter. We just learned, learned a lot of interesting things about warfare back in those days. Next chapter, it gets even kind of, well, when I read it with my family, all my kids were like, oh, well, Audrey and Isaac. Cutting the head off was pretty bad, but next chapter is kind of, it's, yowzers. What's that? That's true. Audrey did. And then when I told them, Isaac was like, yikes. Okay, anyways, that's beside the point. So, I, yeah, those pictures are there, though, because, I, I, you know, um, you know the, this, to, to imagine this picture kind of in a cultural context is, is really difficult because, I mean, I don't think a lot of us sit down and read military history. I don't. And then much less ancient history. Okay, great. I know that the chapter is 58 verses long. It's a doozy of a chapter. But I feel like we should read it. And so I think I just put a little note on here. Anything that stands out as surprising. You know, I think, like I said, most of us, if not all of us, have heard this story before. And But I would like to just kind of go over it so we can read it. And then we're going to watch a video be great. So 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkot and Isaacah, in the Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, 
Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem. I remember I couldn't read that word when we read it to our family. Um, in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the, son, the firstborn, and the next to him, Ab, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistines came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. And also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And David said to, and Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. 
and he has been a man of war from, from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in his hand, in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharamim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. All right. All right, in reading this, anything... uh
stand out as um, something that you forgot? They don't have the pic um, you know, the Sunday school pictures that those of us that are Yeah, the felt, the felt boards. Yeah. They don't have David carrying the head around. They just have Goliath laying down. That's right. I remember having a like a big red spot on Goliath's head. That's it. Yeah, I don't see any cut heads off in Sunday school. And that's interesting is the footnotes in the study Bible say that Goliath's coat of armor weighed 125 pounds. Right. Because you read this and you go, what in the world, you know, does this mean? And his javelin, uh, his spearhead weighed 14 and a half pounds. Yeah, right. Now, um, Goliath, so it's measured in cubits, right? His size is... Um, and it talks about him being approximately nine feet tall. Yeah, now there, there's a, you have to have flexibility in what this means. So it, it, it could be anywhere from nine feet to almost seven feet. It doesn't really matter, though, because the whole point is that's either, either height for that time period is, is huge. Okay? And he, yeah, right. Um, and, you know, yeah, so that, that's important. I, don't get too bent out of shape about how he's, a, he's bigger than anybody else. Yeah, now, David, uh, as far as it being a, he's a youth, so he, that's another flexible number because youth oftentimes was measured not necessarily strictly in years, but the fact he doesn't have a wife. So, but he, most likely he's a teenager. Um, between 13 and 20, yeah. Probably on the younger side, though. Yeah. Julie. Um, in terms of the timing, I mean, you mentioned this in the past, but like, um, when you look at Paul and Esther, they're like, you know, 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 they're uh, there's multiple uh, interpretations. One is the fact that Saul is slowly kind of losing it because um, uh, Saul's going to try to, you know, kill David, pin him to the wall with his spear. Um, he's already kind of losing it, right? That's why David comes in the first place with the uh, the harp. Um, the other thing from the chapter itself is, um, uh, you know, David kind of already tells uh, who he is to Saul. So, you know, it's, it's kind of this peculiar, like, Saul's just kind of losing it. The other one is he's just told out of order. That's the other, that's the other idea. So, what... Um, Uh, you know, I'm not sure. So uh, let's see here. It would it would it would happen before the um, halfway through 16. Yeah. And we know Sam was old by this time. Absolutely. Yeah. He's yeah. He's old either way. But, but, yeah. So as far as the chronological uh, order, it's not a huge difference. It's not like from, like, they took the story and, and decided, to, you know, for some reason to put it after some event that happened a decade later. So um, really, 
and this is my kind of th theory about this, is that Goliath is told at this particular point because of what happens in 18. Um, yeah, and also Jonathan and David's relationship. Which I don't want to give too much out here, but that, that's involved. Because David and Jonathan are very similar on multiple levels. All right, Rachel, then we'll go to Carol. Yeah, good question. Okay, so the first kill is actually ambiguous. Um, yes, there's a big question on, on when he's actually killed. All we know for sure, when you lose your head, you're definitely dead. The, uh, the, My thought was, wait a minute, reading this now, like, and in some ways, yeah, I can see being hit. Well, this goes back to one of the reasons why I showed the picture. Right. Oh, yeah, he, I mean, he's out. Yeah, he's either unconscious or he's dead. Uh, the thing about the bronze, bronze helmet is really fascinating because if you take a look at our picture of the Philistines, he's not wearing a helmet. Well, if he is, it's, it's, uh, it has got feathers on it. So, actually, Goliath's armor, the whole, his whole outfit is unusual for Philistines. So the archaeological record doesn't actually really say there's a lot of soldiers like this. Like he has a bigger, you know, he's like going to the big and tall store. You get the same suit, but it's just bigger. His outfit is actually very distinctive. Now, yeah, so the thing about that, though, it's not a, so the Philistines, I can't remember, did, did we ever say where the Philistines come from? They're sea, seafaring people. So they're like, they could be from Greece. They, now, you'll see a video, and the guy says they're from Crete. You know, that could be. But they're from, they're seafaring people. So given that perspective, it, it would not be unusual for them to have a bronze helmet for, like, a big warrior. Because who else has a bronze helmet in the story? Saul does. Yeah. And that's kind of the irony is that Saul wants to dress David in the same exact outfit as Goliath, which is instructive about what's going on. But so, um, so the coat of mail actually. That's this is I got this from Pastor Bukes because I was like, hey, any any kind of any tidbits that I might have missed? And he uh, is the coat of mail can be it, it's like snakeskin. So of course, what happens to the snake? gets his head chopped off. So the early church uh, and the Middle Ages, they made a, who else takes care of the serpent's head, right? Crushes it, right? So um, I'm not sure if that's actually there, but anyways, that's kind of interesting. So it's described as um, snake-like. Which... Like, like leather, no? Yeah, you know, I didn't, did I, I didn't put that in here. I actually have a picture of it. It depends on, it could be leather, but it also could be um, metal. Yeah, so, but, but that's not the only way to do it. Again, these are, it's really kind of advanced weaponry for the Philistines, for him. That's really important. I mean, the, the whole point is that it's, it's like, ooh, this, this is a big deal and everyone should be afraid. But the point, though, is really to set up a contrast. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Well, somebody else said something. Oh, yeah. So back to the bronze helmet. Archaeological uh, digs have really have not really. They, usually, the bronze helmet would actually cover the forehead. So the fact that uh, a rock would like go inside the head is kind of unusual. The other thing about the word. Uh, okay, so let, yeah, let's just talk about his outfit real quick. Talk about his helmet. Talk about his uh, coat, his weapons. But then also, what do they say? One more piece that's really important for us. No, no, no. What? On his legs. The reason why that's important is because this word in verse 49, yeah, it's just in 49, the forehead. Uh, one, of those verses, one of those words could actually be... Um, Grieve, G-R-E-A-V-E. I actually had to look up that English word. <laughs> G-R-E-A-V-E. Do you guys know what that is? Nancy, you know what that is? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But they actually have a, they have a vulnerable spot. So either David was a really good shot hitting the forehead or he hit the spot in his leg that would have knocked him over. Well, that, that's because this word is so unusual, and it's so like you would use, it's almost like he's saying two things, but those words are so similar. You know, like there, there. You know, like, is it over there, there? You know, I mean, it's, it's one of these things where, um, again, the whole point, though, is that David's shot is pinpoint, and he knew exactly where to go to cause Goliath to fall. Anyways, those are all kind of interesting tidbits, I find. Yeah, but now here's the thing, though, is that there's another great story, ancient story, where someone gets hit in the leg and dies. Or that causes him to die. Can't think of the Bible, though. Achilles! Yeah. I think the Achilles heel is part of my... Okay, now we're getting... Now we're we're projecting 20th century anatomy on ancient... The lower section of my body are my legs. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, that's that's just a little bit of like, oh, hey, the way they tell stories back then are... I mean, this is the way we tell stories. We like to tell stories this way. Again, the main, I, I, first of all, I think he hit him in the head and knocked him out and then chopped his head off. But um, the whole point, though, is, is that, uh, again, David knows exactly where to go, and it doesn't matter how much uh, armor you have. There's a weakness, and it can cause your downfall. Okay. Yeah, Jody. Yeah, okay, great. Thanks for bringing that up. This is not the first time in Samuel that's been said of the Philistines. Bam. Right, who, who, who said that? Jonathan. So Jonathan and David sound very similar. They both called the uncircumcised Philistines. Now, again, what does uncircumcised Philistines mean? What, what, what does that mean? 
They're not part of the covenant. They're not part of the, the promised land. Now, again, though, when you are circumcised, what does that say about your relationship with God? How many gods do you have? One. Uh, you, God belongs, you belong to God, and God is your God. The, 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 the circumcision is a sign of your, um, well, you're, 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 you're for one, you're not, you're not, you're married. <laughs> okay? So you have this one God, you worship one God and, and only him. And the Philistines are invading your house. But it's not just a people. We've got to always remember, it's not just a people it's, it's Dagon. It's their gods. In fact, when David, what does David say to Goliath? Does he talk about, hey, this is our land. Get out of here. That's no, not really. That's not his first word, is it? Of course, it goes on circumcised, trash talking. There's a lot of trash talking going on. But what is, what is so let's back up a little bit. What does Goliath do? To David, calls him my dog, and then what does he do? He curses him by his gods. So now the stage is set. What kind of battle is this? Is it between a large man and a small boy? No. Very important. This battle is between gods. Now, when we put it that way, what do we know about how these battles work out so far in the first 17 chapters? No. In fact, what happened to Dagon? Yeah, he lost his head and his, his arms. Again, it's very, it, it almost sounds like what's happening today, doesn't it? Yeah, the only thing that, that Goliath seems to not have lost is his hands. But the way Dagon has happened, so is Goliath. And then also, too, if we, Jody has already brought it up, Jonathan. When Jonathan attacks the Philistines, who does he put himself into the hands of who, right? God. The one thing, though, it's different between Jonathan and David is that Jonathan almost says it like a prayer, like, um, you know, if God's with us, we're going to win even though this makes no sense to go up a hill. To, to, remember I showed you that picture, the cliff? He has to climb up the cliff to actually go fight him when they could just probably drop a couple rocks and, you know, he'd be dead. Um, you know, if God's with us, we're going to win. If not, then we're dead. So he's banking on God's presence. David doesn't have quite that open-endedness to it. And, you know, why? I, you know, great faith. Or he could have said, listen, this has happened a few times before already. Why are the Philistines even here still, maybe he's saying. So he, he might have this, this, you know. Well, he killed bears and lions, and I would think that's pretty, he must have believed God helped him do it. Oh, yeah, so that's another interesting, did I, I didn't, oh, I didn't include that picture. Um that's another interesting thing about the ancient Near East. If any, a, a great warrior always kills lions and bears. There's like reliefs of like, usually like kings though. That's why the kings 
you know, because that was said of Saul, right? Saul, we need a king to what? Lead us into battle against the Philistines. And, and so um, other countries, we want to be like other countries that have a king that lead us into battles. So if you actually look at the kind of what's left over of, um, you know, e- Egyptian, I, I call it artwork, but it's technically, I guess it's artwork. Artwork, and even like the Assyrian artwork, the kings are like, you know, grabbing lions by their necks and defeating them. So David, though, again, as Marilyn said, understands, like he has, he's, he's defeated lions and uh, bears. And, of course, if we read the whole, you know, the whole account, we know that he must account that victory to God and not to himself. So he's already acting like, like a king. Yeah, in the ancient year. So, um, which then plays out in next chapter. Saul and Saul doesn't really like David anymore after this. Yeah, Julie. Do you think that he has that confidence because he's Oh yeah. Okay, great. That's that's enough. Okay, good. Yep. Um, yes, that's exactly why. But how do we know that from the text? Well, we. How does his older brothers act? <laughs> like older brothers. Yeah. Now the thing is, though, were they present for David's anointing? Yeah. yeah. Because they were all paraded. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, we have to wonder what David's brothers are doing. Who do they sound like? Joseph's brothers. And I think that that's the underlying text in the story. Joseph's story is helping tell this story. So um, the fact that his brothers act that way actually confirms that he is the, the anointed one. Yeah. So um, now whether David knew that, I mean, David put that, I don't think that that's like they, uh, Samuel doesn't write it that way to say that David's like, oh, this happened to Joseph. It's happening to me, so it's going to be okay. I think it's this, that's how you tell the story as a storyteller, is that you use what's already been established. And his brothers could be just jealous because he's like, you just left the sheep. What's happened to the sheep? I mean, there, you know, there's a variety of reasons why his brothers would be angry. But the main point, though, is, is you came out. Why did you come out to the battle to watch it? Now, and now you're sticking your nose in. Yeah, not, but the word just to watch it is really to kind of, it's, it's presumptuous, it's, you know. And so that's the thing is that, is it presumptuous or is he doing what he's been anointed to do? Yeah. Because David's asking about the battle, you have to, why did that get to Saul? Hey, Saul, there's some guy asking about the battle. I don't think that message would you get to Saul unless David is actually already saying, hey, what, what's wrong around? Why isn't anybody fighting this guy? I'll do it. So, like, he's, he's really raising a ruckus in the, uh, whatever, infantry, the, the group of soldiers. Yeah, Kathy. Uh, I was thinking that I, I don't think at this point Saul didn't know who David was. I think he just figured he's that the guy that comes in and helps my headache. Um, because he, he really asks, whose son is he? Because you see Saul made another rash promise 
like he did with whoever does this. Right. Nope, that's absolutely right. He said, okay, I'm going to give, whoever kills Goliath is going to get wealth, he's going to get my daughter's hand in marriage, and his father's house will be free from taxes the rest of the Right. So now he's like, uh-oh, whose son are you? Right. Would, would you be worthy of marrying my daughter? Um, how much taxes am I going to lose? And also, uh, now I've done it because now I've got this champion, young <laughs> champion guy is going to be my son-in-law. So I, th I think it's kind of setting it up. Oh, no, that's exactly right. Yep, yep. In chapter 18, everything comes home to roost. And, and again, this, this chapter, even though it's really, I mean, we're so focused on David, it's really also about Saul. And that's the one thing that we haven't gotten to yet, is that how does Saul play into this? And is he, again, doing what he's already been, is this his, it's just now just kind of a natural consequence of how he's doing. Because what is this what does Goliath um, say of the armies versus what David says of the armies? Uh, the, the armies, I, I don't want to give it away. So Goliath calls them the armies of well, here, let's just take a look at it. Um Verse 8, verse 8, I think. Yeah. Servants of Saul. Yeah. Yep. And then what does David call these people? Does he call them the armies of Saul or the servants of Saul? No, the armies of the living God. So, Saul, <laughs> yeah, he's already, he's already claiming things that don't belong to him. And, again, he's ruling like the nations around him. Right? He's just, he's just acting like everybody else. And David is the one who confesses what this battle is actually about. Yeah, Jan. Well, and you can see the symbolism of that as you look at the fact that Saul wants to clothe right. David yep. in the physical armor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. David said, screw this, I don't need all this crap. Well, if it's between two gods, does the armor matter? No. But there was no way David was going right. to so whether he had it on or he didn't have it on is beside the point, but it's a dramatic testimony to the fact that it's, so it's really about Saul. It's not really about David not fitting the armor. It's really about Saul, which Kathy's already mentioned, about Saul's modus operandi, the way he's behaving and, what, and how the, the consequences of what's happened. So in 18, we find out what he does in 17 has really drastic ramifications. Yeah. Um, and unforeseen consequences. So not just the ones that laid out for Kathy, but the most dramatic consequences is relationship with Jonathan. Because Jonathan is the next in line. He should be the next king. But we find out that, I mean, we already know that he's been anointed, David. David's already been anointed to be king. But now we have the guy who could be most jealous 
actually become yeah become the 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 strongest voice for David's kingship. And as Dave, well, I'll just give you a little hint for next week. So as Saul, uh, the verses fifty five through fifty eight, you know, as David comes into the presence of Saul with the head, right? You got to presume that someone's standing next to King Saul, Jonathan. So 18.1, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that's David, the son of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan and David, not, so they've already have this similarity, right? As Jonathan went to go fight the Philistines, so did David. They've, this, this, what knits them together is, is, is actually God, and that's why they become best friends. BFFs. So that is the unintended consequence of, of what happens in 17, is that Saul loses his son. And now he knows for sure that his line, his leadership is gone. So we can talk about that next week. All right, the, uh, let's see if, hopefully this, my computer didn't. Any other questions? Oh, why did you take his head? Yeah, well. Yeah, why did they take it to Jerusalem? It's a testimony. It's living proof. Who owned the city of Jerusalem? Who did it belong to? Well, we're assuming that Saul was there. Yeah, but um, Marilyn, you, you bring up a good point that Jerusalem is still not what we think of Jerusalem. Yeah. The Tem- yeah, the temple hasn't put there yet, and Jerusalem is kind of a... Yeah, Jerusalem's not yet the New York City of Israel. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he still had a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of things to conquer. Yep. Well, some of the reasons, yeah, so the, again, this goes to the notion of, like, what was Saul actually ruling over? Yeah, so it wasn't a unified, it wasn't until King David that you had a unified Israel and Judah, kind of what we would think of. I mean, the northern and southern kingdoms. Yeah, but you, we'll get, you know, that'll be later. Kathy. Well, I'm just looking at, it looks like Jerusalem is in, within the tribe of Benjamin. Right. Maybe it's the county seat. It's my souvenir. Yeah, actually, it very well could be. I'm not sure if it is, like you said, the county seat. But, okay. Um, So a few years ago, this guy, Malcolm Gladwell, wrote a book on David and Goliath. And he gave a a TED Talk. And I want you to listen to this. And after listening to it, you know, just the simple question is, what is David and Goliath about, based on what he says? Okay. And then also, too, you know, kind of how you react to it and all that. All right. Um, well, first of all, you should have said, you know, watch this with a critical ear. Um, because according to, to the video, what, what is the story about David and Goliath? What, what's it really about? Yeah. There you go. 
Yeah, you know, here's the thing. There's a lot of very interesting things in that video. Um, but the one thing was is that um, the fundamental problem is that he understood it purely on human terms. The story in Samuel is not to show the cleverness of David or the weakness of the Philistines. Um, there actually is a little, like, a legitimate theory because how many times have the Israelites fought the Philistines right now and have, have lost? So think about it this way. We've lost three or four times. What if we just send out one guy now rather than all of us dying? So that is one theory about why they actually had the single combat. But about Goliath himself... I'm not sure if I buy the, buy the whole giant. What, what, what was it called? Yeah, Holly. <laughs> you know, it makes sense. However, David didn't say like only had to fight bears and lions in order to do this. It's like who are these Philistines are going to challenge our God? Right. And so from the beginning, it was all about. That's strength, not David's ability. That's right. Yep. Nancy, what were you going to say? I think, I mean, even given, let's say, Goliath was practically blind, I think it's still a miracle. It's still as God at work. Because, for instance, if I get this horrible diagnosis that my child is dying, and then right. and I pray about it, and later I find out, oh, they got somebody's medical records mixed up, it's still a miracle as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Yeah, no, I, the, the one thing, too, I think he overplays the weakness of Goliath on multiple levels, is that he had, he, he had somebody else with him with a shield. Oh, I mean, you know, I don't know. It just seems like it would be easy to block, block something. I don't know. All right, Barb. I'm listening to it when he started talking after a while. I thought, yeah, it's just like Darwin. Okay, we, we came from the same, of course we did. Well, yeah, the, 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 the confidence in which he, he presents his theory, yeah, is, is probably a little too much. But, but, but the story is, is actually what? Taken out of context. So, again, we have to remember, so all that, he could have, we could easily use all that information from that video and, and, and then we can just, we, we can use all of that and just, we, we just need to simply tell the narrative or tell, the, tell this David and Goliath story within the whole story, this chapter within the whole story. Because once you take David and Goliath out of that context, it can just be about a guy, a giant and a small boy. But it's not. It's, not, it's, it's never been the, whole, the point of this all of Samuel. It's about God fulfilling his promises right from Hannah till now. And when you, when you do kind of take it out of context, fundamentally take God out of it, then it just becomes a nice story to which you can find your own meaning in it. So um, anyways, but I, I did enjoy the video. I, I, always, I always think it's interesting to watch. We're over, so we have to go, but let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. See you next week.